There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Dream Job Ready. My name is Dane Sharp, I'm your host, and my guest for this episode is Denny Keynes, who boasts a 20-year media career packed full of dream jobs, including roles with Twitter, ESPN, and most recently, Next VR. Please note that the opinions of guests are their own and not those of the companies they have worked for. G'day, Denny. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Mate, where are you and how are you going right now? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Los Angeles, California, just sort of getting ready for hopefully what will be another another cracking couple of months of, of, of good weather. But um, And just, just finished four years at NextVR, which is an incredible journey and, and, a, and a ton of fun. Mate, when I look at your job and the work you've done over the last four years, that is my definition of a dream job, personally and I think just professionally for billions of other people around the world. For the listener that doesn't know too much about NextVR uh, and, and doesn't yet know what you have done there for the last four years, can you give us a quick cut on the company, what it's been doing, and then more importantly, what your work there has uh, allowed you to do over the last four years? Yeah, of course. Uh, so NextVR, uh, the leader in live event broadcasting and virtual reality. So we would do uh, basically anything that you would, any, any live event that you would traditionally travel to, um, live sports, live music, for example, uh, we would replicate that virtually and we would put you courtside at a live NBA game or behind the glass at a hockey game, a front row at a, at a Live Nation concert, um, basically sort of live ticketed events, but we did it virtually and we would teleport you courtside and, and it was a ton of fun. And it was, um, you know, four really incredible years. I mean, the learning curve was like that. I mean, you know, VR is a entirely new medium and coming into it, obviously I had a background in content and, and broadcast, but but coming into it, I I thought you know I could I could wrap my head around this, but it, I mean it was a it was the most challenging period of my career to date because everything was new. I mean, so the content deals, the content pipeline, the content production, the content distribution, the the, the way the content was monetized, the, the way that people consume the content. I mean, everything about virtual reality was was new and emerging. And that four-year journey was constantly, everything was evolving. I mean, our business model was evolving, the partnerships were evolving, the way we produced the content was evolving, the way we were monetizing it was evolving. So incredibly sort of fluid um, couple of years, very agile, and, and of course it was a startup, right? So that in itself inherently is laced with complexity and, and challenges and, and, and a lot of reward as well. 
Now, the journey to this job obviously is um, you know, varied and, and plentiful, and we'll get into some of that in this episode. Um, you know, very quickly, you were at Twitter, so you know, big company, big brand, and, and you had an amazing dream job there uh, before you left. Uh, a couple of different roles, but head of sports partnerships for North America for Twitter before you moved to NextVR. How did you get the job at NextVR? How did a startup pull you yeah. away from Twitter? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good question because um, I reflect on it all the time. And really circumstance and opportunity just collided um, at this moment in time. And I was sitting at the US Open Tennis in my role as you know, head, of, head of North American Sports Partnerships. And there was a guy two rows in front of me that had a VR headset. Um, and I sort of, I looked down a couple of seats and I was like, hey mate, like what's all that about? And he said, oh, it's a live, live broadcast of the US Open Tennis. And I said, oh, can I have a look? And I put it on. And I mean, that was the game changer for me. I, I just sort of, when I, I can't, couldn't believe the quality and the clarity back then of the product they were delivering. And that was a guy called Dave Kramer, who was ultimately, he was the COO at NextVR at the time. And over the course of about a year, we just continued to speak and we'd run into each other at conferences or we would um, occasionally chat on email for different bits and pieces. And then um, I was sort of, been at Twitter at that point about four years and I just sort of felt like the learning curve had tapered off a little bit <clears throat> and they asked me if I wanted to come and join them and I thought why not so at that point in time the crew was about, was about a pretty small number of people at NextVR probably maybe 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 a dozen definitely no more than, than than two dozen anyway and then when we finished you know we were about 150 people but but really early days and, 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 and a great experience and, a, and an awesome company to be part of from the very, very beginning. Yeah, mate, circumstance and opportunity collide. It's always a big decision what to do next, whether that's within a company you're working for or to make a jump to a different company. Yeah, was there any fear factor in this at all for you or was it just a, a layup because you know where the world's going from a VR and AR and content consumption point of view? If, like if I reflect back, I have more fear about doing it what I did now than I did at the time. And, and, and what I mean by that is I kind of shocked myself that I did it actually, because in reflection, I'm like, I had a, I had a great career path at Twitter. I'd, I'd, I'd been in Australia. We helped open the operation there. They'd moved, moved me to New York. Um, I was running North American sports partnerships out of New York. Um, I was running the global TV team. Um, the, the company was, was still growing incredibly fast. Um, during that period, we'd gone from before the IPO, we took it to the public markets and now we're post IPO. There was a lot of buzz around the company. We we're doing incredible things. We just brought streaming to the platform. We did, I did the original deal with the NFL to bring those streaming rights for Thursday Night Football to, to Twitter. Um, that, you know, that was the first time that Thursday Night Football had been streamed on a, on a social platform. Um, yeah, and then I just threw it all in and went to NextVR and I, and at the time, no, I didn't think twice about it. I went, this felt right. It felt like the right move at the right time, the, the right group of people, uh, the right industry to be in and the right challenge. But, but in reflection, I don't know where I found the courage to do it because if now, as we talk about it, I look back at it and go, you know, most people would say you're crazy, but, but I, I mean, I'm so thankful that I did it because I, it's been a really great journey. Yeah, mate, that's, you know, it's, it's humbling, but that's awesome to look back on it like that. You know, it's uh, certainly if it just felt right, um, you know, you, 
you say trust your gut. You know, sometimes you get to do that. Sometimes you don't. You have to make a brain decision. Yeah. But that's that's amazing. You know, you 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 mentioned Australia there. We can obviously hear your Australian accent. Um, let's let's go back. You were born and raised in Australia. Charles Sturt University, Bachelor of Arts degree. Um, you know, take us back to yeah. life in Australia before going and getting dream jobs over in the states. Yeah, it's um. It's weird because if you reflect, I remember so many times early on, especially when I was at uni, I looked at people working in, in media or in the sports business um, or at network television, and it, it was so unfathomable for me to understand how those people got into those positions. Right? I, I was like, it just felt like too out of my reach, too far to, to sort of, you know, to travel in your career. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know anybody in those industries. I... I, you know, I came from Bungendore, which was like a small country town just outside of Canberra. I'd been, you know, uni in Wagga, but was not from choice. It was because I couldn't get into the fine arts college in Sydney. So I was sort of going to this like second or third choice. It could have even been my third choice uni. Um, and it was in, you know, the middle of nowhere. And if I think back, I just, I can't imagine that if I was talking to that kid today saying it's, it's gonna be okay, this is where you're going to end up. I, I wouldn't believe it for a second. Um, but but the but I went to Wagga and I did a TV production course there for a couple of years, and then I moved to Sydney, and I got the opportunity to make coffee and tea for the hosts on the Today Show, which was Tracy Grimshaw and Steve Liebman at the time, uh, through a connection that was through the uni because the uni was sort of placing people in these sorts of different internship roles. Yeah, like a work experience role. And so I did that unpaid um, for a couple of weeks. And then the EP at the time, Steve Wood, said to me at the end of the couple of weeks of the, of the work experience, he said, are you coming in on Monday? And I said, no, it's, 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 gonna, it's finished. I've got to go back to uni. And he said to me, well, when uni's finished at the end of the year, give me a call. And so I actually did give him a call um, when I got to when I got to Sydney at the, when when uni finally wrapped for the year, and and he said come in on Monday and come and meet me in the office. So I went to the office and he forgot he'd set up to meet me, so he wasn't there. He was out at lunch, and I just felt so crushed. I was like, I had put so much promise into this idea that I was meeting with the executive producer of the Today Show, and I was coming out of out of uni, and you know maybe I was going to get like a job because of that work experience. Um, and he didn't, he didn't turn up to the meeting. And so I just sort of, you know, went home with my tail between my legs. And then he called me a couple of days later and said, can you come in and start on Monday? He didn't even, didn't even choose to meet. And I was like, yes. And I was like, whoa, that's incredible. And, and then my journey at, at the Nine Network was a really good couple of years, um, just working with great people and just climbing my way up from Coffee Boy to to eventually finished as a producer on the on 60 minutes and 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 that in itself was a was a really great period of my career that's great mate and and you know that's such an interesting story um of the transition from uni to to the work because it's not easy uh, i've talked about it in previous episodes around you know the stats are alarmingly growing of um you know uh, the more difficult and the longer wait it takes a lot of people to get jobs uh, out of uni um, let alone everything that's been going on in 2020. Look, if I can ask you this week's um, listener question of the week right now, because I think it's quite fitting and I've got it penned here, um, and I think it's a, it's a good jump off from what you were just talking to there, and I think you'll have some great advice. 
this week's question is from Shannon. Um, and the question is, is getting a marketing or media degree from university an outdated practice from long ago? Or is it still an important prerequisite and opportunity to get employed in the marketing and media industry today? Yeah, um, it's 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 really important, but but you have but but only if you look at it through very specific lenses. Um, I didn't learn anything outrageously interesting at university, right? Um, it's nothing that I wouldn't have learned in that period that that I probably wouldn't have learned in the job. Certainly, certainly in television. Um, but what I did learn was um, a lot about um, how to study, how to, how, how to really put an essay together or how to put my words together, how to communicate better, um, um, about, learn a lot about deadlines. Um, I learned about sort of the work-life balance in a sense because of the how, you know, constant sort of, um, you're, you're, you're sort of, you're going into a period of your life where you actually get to make choices on your own and you have to make decisions and there are consequences to those decisions. And so there's a lot of stuff that university taught me that I wasn't expecting to get taught. And, and there's a lot of people that um, unfortunately, um, it's the way it is, is that they do carry, it does carry a lot of weight. So a lot of like decent jobs, entry level jobs these days require a BA or some sort of degree or some sort of study and, and that really, a lot of the time, even at entry level, is to prove that you've got commitment and to prove that you're willing to put your head down and work hard and, and you know, that you're sort of willing, to, willing to, to, to put the hard yards in when it comes to the career. So, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because for a lot of people, there isn't that opportunity, right? They either can't afford it um, um, or they just can't get in. And, and, and certainly there are, you know, thousands of stories out there of people who've had really incredibly successful careers who who didn't get a full education. Um, but the only piece of advice I'd say is, is just, is, it, it gets harder for you, that's all. So you have to work harder and you have to be a little luckier and you have to get a little bit more opportunity come your way without having that degree behind you. And so um, it just sort of, getting the degree ultimately shortens the odds to you getting a better job in the long run. Yeah, I like that, mate. And if I could echo a couple of things that I really liked what you said there. One is is around that decision-making. Uh, it, it is elevated decision-making from leaving high school, um, for sure. Whether that is because it's a more vigorous deadline or timeline to do it, uh, or even just the the breadth of decisions you have to make. As you said, you're out in, you're out on your own almost for the first time for a lot of people. So that that is super critical. And just learning that is so beneficial because it's you know, it's, it doubles down again when you actually go and get a job. And the second one I, I, I really think it's important is around the commitment. Um, it's, a, it's another elevated level of commitment that you have to deliver. And I think that's what kind of people look for. And if you've got a uni degree, it's as much going, okay, that person's committed themselves and gone out and actively learned for two, three, four, whatever it is, years. Uh, and they yeah. can, they're going to bring that into the job ready to go as opposed to I'm going to have to coach them through that. Yeah. And, 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 you, and you do learn foundational um when I said I didn't learn a lot, you, you do learn the foundations of the industry that you're walking into, just the, the bare bones basics, uh, which is critical too for an employer. Let's jump from that to the fact that now over the last four years, um, or a good breadth of that, you've been leading and, and managing a, a huge team. You know, you're talking 50, 60 plus uh, you know, uh, level of staff, creatives, producers, etc. Can you talk about that team? And I guess more importantly, what advice can you share from having to deal with all those people on a daily basis for the listener out there that's trying to break into media production, et cetera? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the best 
the best employees are the ones that can have a can-do attitude that just can get the job done. Um, you know, I like to surround myself with people who who um, who don't just tell you about the problem, but they'll tell you about how they're going to solve the problem. So I, you know, I've got no problem with anybody, you know, coming to me on any given day and saying, you know, Danny, you know, this has gone wrong, or this is the this is the problem today, or this is what we need, you know, to solve. I mean, that's that's my job, right? In a sense, is to help them and, and make sure I can remove the roadblocks and ensure that I can give them um, a clear path to, to getting something done. But I always get a little frustrated with people who come in and just tell me the problem and just leave it there and without a solution or without sort of, you know, active steps for how we can solve the problem. And, and it seems obvious when we talk about it now, but for a lot of people um, that, are, that are in the job, certainly in the early days, it's not clear to them. They think that they, can, they go to their boss with a problem and their boss will solve it. Yes, they will, but ultimately like come with the solution and then your boss will help you, you know, clear the path for you to get it solved with your solution. So that stuff is kind of been, been critical for me is, is surrounding myself with the sort of can-do people. And then the rest is pretty easy. I mean, there's plenty of people that I've hired who are actually much better at the job than me. The thing which has been key in my career is certainly as you grow a team, when I started at Next VR, it was it was just I was just the only person on the content team, doing the entire entire flow of production. So it was the deal acquisitions or, or content deals. What sort of content do we think makes sense for the Next VR fan? Um, going and securing those deals, or negotiating them, bringing that bringing those deals in, and then and then overseeing the production of those deals, thinking about the content strategy for for not just production but the distribution and the programming of it. And ultimately, syndication and monetization of it. Monetization, I'd, I'd hand off to the sales team, but 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 still part of that process. And and over time, as the team grew, I could break all those individual things I was doing. I could break them down, and I could bring people into the business that were actually experts at each of those individual roles. So you end up in a position where you're actually surrounded by a bunch of experts who are much better at doing all of these individual things than you ever were, um, and they all just make you look really good. So, um, but I mean, that's the key is like, I could, I, I, I could just ultimately then try and from a leadership position and from a you know, 36,000 foot view, in a sense, be able to look at the business and decide where we needed to make changes or where we needed to evolve the strategy and just, and then talk to the people I brought in to run those departments in order to, 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 to get that stuff going. Um, and it's a pretty efficient way to, to do it. And, and, and you end up with a team of people who, not only can do the job better than you, but you have incredible trust and respect for as well, which is super important because if you don't have the trust and respect, I mean, there's not a day that I was sending some farewell notes to some of the folks that I've worked with at XVR over the last couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the one of the themes in the, in, in the notes I was sending to them was that the reality was, is that like on any given day, if something went wrong in the business or if, there, if it was ever under sort of some sort of pressure to get something done, I, 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 they alleviated a lot of that because I knew that they could deliver. I knew that if I went to, I had Josh, who was my head of, head of production. I knew when there was a problem with like an NFL camera position or an NBA camera position, or somebody was screaming blue murder for something that was shot that got broadcast that shouldn't have. I knew that those things would get solved because these people that I put around me were absolute experts in their field. And yeah, can you shed some light on, you know, I imagine there's a plethora of different personality types within that. It, it, can everyone be a problem solver? Can everyone, you know, gain that trust of a manager to, to be a problem fixer? 
Um, no, no, that not they don't, they won't always come in as that, but you have to show them the path to what you like, what you need, and and also you have to be willing to make the hard decisions. I mean, I've fired plenty of people, and not because they were terrible at the job, but just because they weren't necessarily the right cultural fit for my team, and and you know that's the that's the tough thing about um, tough choices is that they're tough, right? You have to make them, and 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 sometimes it's not fun, but. But ultimately, you know, I, I sort of have this philosophy when it comes to hiring people. Hiring is hard. Like finding a good person for a job is tough. Finding a great person is almost impossible. And so it's really difficult. You have to do your diligence and you have to interview them enough and you have to get enough input as to whether you think they're the right fit. And even then you could make the wrong decision. But if you hire somebody who's okay or good or even, even great at the job, you have to look at your best performer on the team, the person who you, who you love and trust and who delivers time and time again. And you have to say to yourself, if I don't hire another one of those people, like that's all the stuff I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna lose all the great things that that amazing employee is. And that's a great lens to look through. Cause then you look at these people who are, oh, that, he could be pretty good for the job and realize pretty good doesn't cut it. Like they have to be a superstar. Um, and, 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 and you can't, um, you can't compromise on that stuff because ultimately it'll impact the business all the way down the chain. Um, unless you get the right fit in the role from the very beginning. Cause, cause nobody likes sitting in a room and having to fire someone like that's just the worst part of any job. But, but ultimately that's what happens if you don't do the diligence in the hiring process in the first place. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's golden. You know, you. When you get that right person, it's it's immediate almost how, how much of a difference that makes. Yeah. Um, it, could we let's roll reverse it for a second? Because obviously you would have hired um, a lot of people and and gone through that whole process with a lot of people um, throughout your career, but specifically in the last four years with that big team. If if you had to give yourself advice to kind of go into that kind of job application. Um, Step me through it. Like, how do I how do I um, divulge that type of um, personality traits and enthusiasm, and and you know, ask for that trust, starting with I guess the resume upwards. If you can help yeah. help me break that down. You'll, yeah, but you'll you'll look at. I mean, the one piece of advice that I would give myself, um, you know, it it in in any situation where I'm sort of reporting you know reporting up in in, in structure, is that you as a direct report, think about your manager a lot more than your manager thinks about you, right? Because the nature is, is like that manager has five, maybe 10, maybe even more people like reporting up to them. Um, but you're the only person, but they're the only person that you are thinking about all the time. So you've got to give them, um, um, you have to build enough trust for them to know that you're just getting the job done and you're low maintenance and you're delivering. If you're the sort of, direct report who constantly is asking for advice, constantly going in and checking in, constantly trying to show your worth, constantly asking for validation on something you've done. Ultimately, you actually become a thorn in their side because they want you to, most managers want you to have enough confidence in yourself to make the decisions, to, to believe in that you can get the job done without needing constant validation that you're doing a great job. Um, and, and the nature of the very nature of giving yourself a little bit of distance from your your um, direct manager also means that when you do go to them with a problem, when you do go to them with an issue, they'll listen 10 times more um, intently at what you're saying 
because you're not in there all the time talking about stuff. And and that that that's how you build trust, I think, and that's how you build the great dynamic between in that reporting structure is is just not wasting their time. Like going to them only in the important stuff and just the rest of the time head down, get the job done, deliver results, um, and you know, and and, and and have confidence that if they're not constantly in your inbox or constantly calling you or constantly texting you, that's a good thing because they trust that you're getting the job done. Yeah, and, and, and as you said before, you know, if it is a problem, have an opinion on a solution. Um, and, and I think yeah. the other key part that I've sort of witnessed is tr- make it as relevant as you can to that manager because um, if they do have that minute of the time and it's not easy being a manager, uh, if it's relevant to them, they're, they're going to care a little bit more than if it sort of just seems like a, a left of field thing. That, that's great, yeah. mate. Um, and qu- another question for you as well, just out, out of the people you work, you've been working with, um, are, are you one that looks at it and, and when you're hiring someone, you kind of expect that they've experienced or used you know, your product or your platform? Or, or is there people that you work with that, I guess, aren't necessarily in NextVR's um, point of view, virtual reality enthusiasts, uh, and they're more just experts in their trade at, at what they're working on? It, it it depends on the role. Um, diversity of opinion is super important and bringing somebody into the business that had applied for a job but wasn't necessarily a VR enthusiast or hadn't necessarily looked at VR content, for most people would be a problem. Um, I don't necessarily think it is. I would look at those people and be curious as to like, like why they hadn't and try and use those reasons as to a way to get new users onto the platform. You know, okay, so what was it about VR that stopped you from wanting to try it? What was it about you that never got put, put, the, put the headset on? Now, if it was directly content related, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a bit of an issue, but if it was like a data analysis or if it was somebody who was coming in in a different um, function that wasn't really specific to the content, but was important to build the company, um, I'd be a little bit more lenient. But I think generally, once again, when we talk about reducing the odds to getting the job, the people that were would always impress me were the people who'd come in and had tried the content, tried the tried the app, could talk about their experiences. I mean, that stuff is 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 makes it easier for me to hire them than somebody who's really great at the job but had never actually even opened the app in the first place. Great to know. I think that's great advice. Um, Mate, NextVR, it's, it's a company, I, as I mentioned, I discovered it through the NBA. Uh, I've, I've had, had a chance to do a lot of webcasting and broadcasting with Ripcurl back in the day, so I'm also interested in you know broadcasting and streaming. So that's a company I look at and I was like, you know, wow, and your job title is dream job uh, material. But you know, when I look through your career, mate, you've had some amazing jobs for some amazing brands. Um, and, and I'll get to a question in a second, but you know, we're talking Twitter, we're talking 60 Minutes, ESPN, you know, Channel 9, as, it's, as it says. When you look at your career because um, even though we're both young at heart, companies like Twitter and uh, NextVR, or for me, you know, eBay and Groupon, they weren't around back when we were at school and going to uni. So that, they're new companies, but massive. What's, what's made you successful throughout this journey that you've had through in your career from those humble days uh, at that third choice university onwards to where you are now? Um, I think it's it's hard to put it down to just one or two things i think there's characteristics um i've all there's some people who go to one company and they'll spend 
30 years of their life there, right? And that's sort of very much the American culture way here is people who go to ESPN from the beginning of time and they wake up 30 years later and they're SVP of whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just I just have been much more of a sort of transient, had the transient sort of, you know, feel about my career where I've sort of continually moved around, continually tried new things. Um, Darren Wick, who's the head of news and current affairs for, for, for the Nine Network, uh, calls me a gypsy because certainly in the early days, because I would bounce around a little bit, right? And now I bounced around only for a few reasons, but the main reason was because I came in as the coffee boy and I was always gonna be the coffee boy. I had to leave and come back to be seen as someone a little bit different and I had to leave and come back. And so I, were, I, came, I came and went from nine three times as I was a coffee boy and then I went up, it was a researcher and then I left and I traveled, went overseas for a couple of years, I came back. And then when I came back, I was no longer the coffee boy, I was the guy who was the researcher. Then I left and I was went upstairs to be a producer at A Current Affair. And then I left and when I came back, I was, oh, that's Danny, who was the producer at A Current Affair. Then I went to the footy show um, as, a, as a supervising producer. But it kind of helped, it helped break my career up a little bit to be seen through a different lens and not just be seen as always, oh, that's the coffee boy who's now doing this. Um, but that doesn't mean that's the right path because at the end of the day, um, you probably still both, whichever path you choose, you probably still both end up as the SVP of whatever you, you know, wherever you are, be it 30 years or be it on and off coming in and out of a career. Um, so, but, but the reason I did it, um, and this is going to sound, I, I, it should resonate with people, but it was just the nature of where I was at in my life is I went to different jobs because I was going to get paid more a lot of the time. Like, I mean, it was still within TV. It was still interesting, but ultimately I saw opportunities to get a 10 grand pay rise. And I was like, I'm gonna go and work here because I can get a little bit more money. And it mattered to me back then. I mean, I started my career in, in television and my salary was $32,000 a year. And, and it wasn't a lot to live on back then. Um, and obviously a lot less now. And, and so an extra five or 10 grand made a huge difference to, to, to my lifestyle. So um, I did a bit of that. And then ultimately what I, what I did discover was that um, I was very drawn to storytelling. Uh, I've always been a storyteller. And what I mean by always been a storyteller, I'm the guy who will, you know, goes to a party and just, I just talk about things. I'll talk about like stuff. I'll, I'll, I'm always just retelling stories like that. And, and of course I applied that to television. Um, and the interesting stuff for me was when, when tw the, the big sort of where I deviated from TV and went into tech was because Twitter was looking to open the Australian operation. And at that point in time, they discovered that a lot of the conversation that was taking place on the platform was around television programming. It was a sort of social TV phenomenon that we, that we all came to know. And, that as, and as a tech company, they really didn't have a lot of understanding of the TV business or how to harness the power of their platform when it came to TV programming. Certainly didn't really know how to speak TV or get into the TV businesses. And so they, they went and hired a bunch of people that worked in TV. And I was just fortunate enough to get a call um, one day when I was at 60 Minutes and they asked me to, to go to dinner one night and, and, and meet with them. And, and that for me was the turning point because I saw the opportunity to take everything I'd learned for the last decade and apply it to an entirely different industry in a sense um, that, that, that still had very, strong at its core still had a lot of um things i could relate to as, as a pertain to tv right so that um that was probably the big turning point was was sort of getting into silicon valley tech in a sense 
and 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 have any opportunity to to do all the crazy stuff I did at, at, at Twitter at the time. No, thank you for being so honest about that. I, I love the truth around um, you know those moves for pay. Uh, we a lot of us like we typically kind of hide and you know, keep that kind of stuff secret. But, um, you know, certainly in the younger parts of career and it, it lasts forever, it may waver a little bit on a motivational level, but, you know, you're 100% right. If you want a pay rise, sometimes, more often than not, yeah, the easiest gotta, way is you've got to jump. And because sometimes, like, you'll get, you'll get very easily taken for granted as well, like, by some, by, by a boss who, I mean, I've been, I've taken my, my moves with me my entire career in the sense that I always make sure that people are getting their reviews. I always make people make sure people are getting a, a pay increase. I'm always going into fight for budgets for my staff because I know what I was like, especially with the younger kids. I'm like, I know exactly like that, that, that if I'm not careful and cause sometimes I've got kids working for me who are absolute superstars who will go on and do incredible things with their career. They're like 21, 22. I'm like, you have no idea. Like if you keep that attitude up, like you're gonna absolutely crush it. And and they're ten times smarter and enthusiastic and 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 energetic than I ever was. Um, but I know I'll lose them because someone else will someone else will nab them like very quickly, or if they start to feel underappreciated. Um, now there's kids who feel like they 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 sort of they do a job, or they should have you know they, they, it's it's their right to be paid, right? And that's that in itself is is problem ish at times, but. Um, but, but the, the impact now, though, has been that, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of weeks since the, the, the next VR um, acquisition, is I'm a lot more focused now on doing something with meaning and purpose than I ever have been. And, and I think it's because the first 10 years of my career were a little bit less about that. And so now, as I'm getting to this stage, it is very much about like, you know, wh like, wh like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Are really, really important questions. They were less important to me in my twenties. That's a good segue, Matt. I was going to ask you. You know, your your what's what's the motivating factor in a dream job for you now? Like, what's what gets you up and gets you excited? Yeah, um, it's 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 it it has to be having impact in people's lives in a meaningful way. I mean, positive impact, of course. Like, I just am very motivated now about ensuring that whatever it is that I do next. I have the ability to sort of have a positive impact and I can change, you know, people's lives for the better um, in a meaningful way. And that's that for me. Um, and so, I mean, we did a lot of that stuff at NextVR because I suppose the obvious question is like, like how did the VR, you know, how, how did you do that at, at, in, in, in VR? But uh, we did a lot of really interesting work. So we did a documentary series, um, uh, the original programming. And one of the last pieces we did was a story, a, a mini documentary um, called um, Homeless, a Los Angeles story. And we basically followed three people's lives in the streets of LA. They were homeless over a couple of nights in Koreatown. Um, just trying to like give um, some sort of empathy to the homeless problem here because there's 65,000 people living on the streets of LA on any given night. Um, that's the number they can count. That's not people that are living, crap, you know, that are, that are out of job and out of a job and you know um, couch surfing or that are living in their cars or you know all the crazy stuff that, that people go through um, when they're sort of experiencing homelessness and so and you can drive down an LA freeway and they just become like noise right they just become like there's just more homeless people and these are real human beings right that had lives that just fell into a little bit of bad luck that you know there but for the grace of you know for, for anyone it could be either you or I I'm in a mortgage payment or too late you lose your job 
big medical bill comes in, anything can go wrong. And so um, try to give some sort of empathy and let people understand their story and understand that like, this is how these people live in virtual reality um, is hugely like, um, hugely impactful because you ultimately get a sense of presence and immersion when you're in the experience. So you like, now it's not just a homeless person on the side of the street, you're in a tent with them at night in the streets of LA and seeing how they live. And so that's the kind of stuff which I think, um, when I talk about meaning and purpose, that's the kind of stuff that really motivates me. Yeah, that's the, that's the kind of stuff that's going to make a difference as well. How, how does a listener find that? It was launched at the New York Film Festival 2019 as official selection. It was in the NextVR app uh, until recently, but after the acquisition, we've had to sunset that app for the time being. Um, so it, it can be found um, in a couple of places. If you've got an Oculus device, it's in the Oculus TV section of the, uh, of the Oculus store. Um, it's, it's free to watch and you could watch it on, if you had a Gear VR, uh, 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 a VAR, uh, Oculus um, Go, an Oculus Quest uh, or, or an Oculus Rift, you'd be able to watch it. Awesome stuff, mate. Yeah, that I, I, you know, we, the opportunity to find that purpose and, um, you know, make an impact, um, you know, kudos to you for that, for being a driving factor because there's a lot going on right now and I think that uh, that kind of impact is, is what everyone's looking for. So. Look, I'm going to ask for a, a parting word before we wrap this episode up. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot again in a second. Um, bit of advice for a, a job seeker out there. First of all, you know, such a such a super interesting um, career journey you've had so far. I can't wait to see what's next. Obviously, next VR, the business, um, you know, being acquired by um, you know the giant that is Apple. Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting to kind of see how that all unfolds for that side of the business. Obviously, your career um, is, is going to be amazing to watch what's next. And if I could have one parting word for a job seeker that's listening right now, um, what's the one thing they should do this afternoon, tonight, this morning, whatever time it is that they're listening to, that's going to get them ready for that dream job opportunity that might knock on their door? Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a few people in my career that, that I've hired um, who were incredible hires that originally I'd actually said no to. And, and that's, it's amazing. I still, I still joke about it with, with a couple of these folks all the time. I'm either a terrible hiring manager or um, they, just, they just saw a weakness in my like, ability to sort of give them a second chance, but, um, or maybe a strength or something, whatever, whatever however, you, however you would define that. Um, but um, one guy, I won't name them just for in case I embarrass them, but one guy I'd said no to, um, sent me an email and said that um, I actually think I am the right fit and I think you're wrong and um, I think that you should meet me in person we'd only done a phone interview um, and I'm going to fly myself to your office I'm going to sit in the foyer I'm going to be there all day and if you could find five minutes to meet me I'd appreciate it and if you can't I understand but I'm going to be there now most people would think that person's a crazy but my rec recruiter sent me the email and said like, I don't know what do you think and I'm like get him in here Get him in here. If he sent that email, I'll, I'll, or the very least I can do is find some time to meet him in person because I know how tough that email would have been to send because I know like it's a really tough thing to like pick up the courage after you've sort of been beaten down and haven't got a position in a job and been told it's not for you. Like that's an ego blow, right? It can be crushing. We've all had that. And why not me? Like what's wrong with me? How come I'm not the right fit for the role? And so I ended up hiring him as one of the best hires I'd ever made. 
Um, another, another hire was a woman who walked in, put her resume on the um, receptionist desk and said, I really want a job here. I've walked past here, you know, for the last year, every day, I thought it would be a wonderful place to work. This is at Next VR. Um, resume came to my, um, to my desk and, I was, and, and the receptionist told me what she said. And I said, well, I don't know, it just doesn't look like the right fit. But I gave it to um, one of my direct reports and said, look, give her a call and have a chat to her. Tell me what you think. I don't think she's the right fit and I don't really have time to, to, to be talking to her. Um, um, but, but, but we should do the, the, sort of the, you know, the right thing. We should at least have a conversation with her. And then he came back to me the next day and said, I think you should talk to her. She's unbelievable. And I said, really? He said, yep. So I spoke to her and I was like, wow, she crushed it. I was like, I want to hire you right now. I was really impressed. And I said, I have to go to my COO to get approval for it. Um, so I went to my CEO and said, right, look, I'm gonna hire this, this woman. And he said, no, she's not the right fit. I looked at the resume. I said, well, that's what I thought. And I told Josh that, and Josh said she's good. And Josh told me it's when I think she's good. So, so he said, well, I want to interview her. I said, you can interview her. He hired her in the interview. He said, that's it, and yeah. And I was like, and, I've, and so many times I've laughed about that because I'm like, there were so many things up against her to get that job. There were all these people that was like, you're not the right fit. And, and she just, she crushed the interview. And, 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 and she, do, she isn't just a great employee, she's a star employee. And so two, two stories there about people who were persistent and didn't take no for an answer. Now, some people won't react the way that I reacted. Um, some people are less willing to, to, to sort of, you know, to, to have a second conversation or, or think there's, that that's a good character trait. I do, and, and because I've been proven right twice. Oh, mate, and, and I think to break the fear uh, that someone would have to send that second email is worst case scenario, you know, you're right back going, you know, thanks, but no thanks, on to the next one. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, the life's not over. So, yeah. you know, great stories, like great successful stories, those two uh, showed that, you know, persistence and, and enthusiasm and, and the willingness to ask or, you know, you don't, you don't get what you don't ask for, right? But again, yeah. I, I'll echo, you know, you shouldn't be knocked back if you get a no because it's you know it's closer to the yes the next time. So, yeah. hey, Danny, really appreciate your time, mate. This has been so good, uh, amazing career. I'm going to keep watching very closely, and uh, you know all the best for the for the rest of this month. Great, thanks a lot. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 